This podcast is brought to you by the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, your community foundation, which is focused on one simple goal, to help philanthropists pursue their causes for bettering the lives of people in Louisiana. Welcome to the pod. I'm your host, Chris Meyer, and today we invited in Camille Manning-Broom, the president and CEO of CPEX, the Center for Planning Excellence. She's here today to talk to us about the role effective planning plays in improving the quality of life and making a more livable Louisiana. Did you know that Louisiana is one of the first states in the South to develop a climate plan for resilience and adaptation? To learn more, keep listening. Camille, welcome to the pod. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. So, the Center for Planning Excellence. I know you have uh, recently celebrated a long anniversary of y'all's existence. Give give our listeners a sense of, of the history of CPEX and, and where you've come from. Yes, very exciting. Um, you know, in 1998, we were a program out of the Baton Rouge Area Foundation called Plan Baton Rouge, and that was led by Elizabeth Boo Thomas, uh, CPEX's founder and director. And the purpose of that program was for leaders in the Baton Rouge community to come together and think through a larger vision for the future of Baton Rouge, and in particular, downtown Baton Rouge. And that effort really catapulted the transformation of the downtown into what we have today through two planning efforts. You know, Andres Duwani, a big national firm, came in. Um, the BRAF and, and the team at Plan Baton Rouge were really excellent at getting all the right people around the table. Big decisions were made on public investment to bring all the state buildings into the downtown. And every time there's big, smart, strategic public investment, private investment follows. Mm-hmm. And so CPEX was called upon a larger charge and need um, after Hurricanes Katrina and Rita. And with support from Senator Mary Landrieu, uh, Elizabeth Boo Thomas founded our own independent nonprofit, CPEX. Uh, we then focused on spearheading the Louisiana Speaks regional planning effort, which was the first of its kind to think about land use patterns and how we're going to redevelop and incorporate coastal science and um, big transit needs and housing needs and, and initiatives at a state level uh, to support the region's growth. There were over 27,000 people that participated in that effort. And I was brought on at that time to not only focus on the implementation of that plan, but also to develop and launch a statewide planning effort for CPEX to bring planning resources and tools to communities across our state. As of today, we've been in over 50 communities across our state. Oh, Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so excited to talk about kind of the, the journey of, of CPEX, especially, you know, coming from Baton Rouge and its focus, as you said, back in, in 1998 on downtown, but then becoming a, a sort of, you know, uh, partner across our state. Let's start maybe the work here in Baton Rouge. And so the, the downtown efforts, which were, were largely successful, uh, began to kind of branch out. I know y'all have had work in, in other corridors that are important in our city, uh, in North Baton Rouge, in Mid city. Talk about some of those projects and how they are representative in in some ways of effective planning and and maybe where we still have ways to go. Yeah. No, I think the the role of planning has changed over time and we have to stay up to date with innovative methodologies and ways in which to engage the public, set the table, 
develop collective vision, and chart a course forward that has lots of champions behind making sure that vision becomes a reality. And so in, in 2013, I've always, I was eight months pregnant, we, we did the Better Block Government Street Project. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this was where, you know, actually I had gotten the idea or inspiration rather from Jason King, who developed a TEDx on tactical urbanism and what he had transformed in nearby communities uh, uh, to Dallas. And so we uh, worked with the mayor's office and a ton of partners in setting forth on temporarily demonstrating what two blocks of Government Street could look like. And what I love about this approach, in which we've replicated at you know um, the overpass at Perkins Road mm-hmm. throughout Mid City neighborhoods, is that you bring everyone together in the community—residents, business owners—and together we build out those demonstrations. We're building planters, bus stops. We used Crayola paint to to paint um, bicycle lanes. We took the four lanes down to two lanes, and we had over 250 street trees. Um, line to protect the bikers from from the cars and you know before this everyone said oh there's there's no way there's too much traffic it's going to be a nightmare you can't you can't do a road diet you can't have complete streets in this area and by us engaging everyone having everyone participate and have a role in it it led to a demonstration that everyone could see was a huge success. Mm-hmm. We had 25 pop-up businesses. Oh, wow. When we asked people, we took over vacant properties, and, and we actually built a, a beer garden on one of those properties. You know your audience. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, well, it was it was the ideas and vision of, of all the community residents and, and business owners that we were coordinating with. And so I think this is a really important point because it, it's not a CPEX plan. It's not a BRAF plan. It needs to be the community's plan. That's the only way it gets implemented. That led to the mayor, you know, committing to a road diet with a transfer of $13 million going into that public infrastructure. As soon as that announcement was made, immediately we started started seeing um, investments in blighted properties and and, um, commercial properties. White Star uh, was directly, you know, designed as a result of, of how we did the Better Block to those same principles. And and so, um, at that time, we didn't have a lot of we didn't have a lot of restaurants. We didn't have we didn't have many bars. We didn't have you know an arcade place. We didn't have coffee shops, and and so it's just spurred uh, into this vibrant corridor. Which we're only halfway there. There's yep. more work to be done. But these are tangible results, and I think that tangible method of getting the entire community involved and helping shape what it could be. Um, builds more champions, people get to experience it, and then say, I want that. So taking this kind of similar approach now, I know you have some work you've been partnering with uh, many in the community in in North Baton Rouge, specifically in Scotlandville. I can imagine there's a lot of folks that maybe you're saying what they said in 2013, this can never happen. Why would we do this? It's silly to paint the streets and it's silly to engage in this way. It'll never, never happen. But how's how's that going? How are you approaching that? Yeah, no, the work with Southern University and the Scotlandville community has been really tremendous. We have been working in partnership with them over the past four years. Um, we, we, in partnership with our uh, architects, developed the, the Southern Campus Master mm-hmm. Plan 
And just recently, there was a announcement of, uh, you know, the Gateway Project. There's already buildings being funded, following the plan. So there's some very tangible results already happening and, and, and moving towards implementation on the campus itself. And then in addition, um, you know, we were invited into the community. We have been in the background of the Scotlandville community, supporting them, making sure that we're hearing what their needs are. We're transferring that into policy language or ideas and things that that can be done to reach the the goals that they have for their community and we're still there um through resources with the Wilson Foundation, we were able to do some work at the Jewel J. Newman mm-hmm. uh, Community Center. Um, with res- Also from Wilson Foundation, we have a very successful um, ha- home weatherization program that we're doing right now. We have an upcoming event on Sunday where over you know, 190 people are already registered. We've had uh, two of them so far. But this is where we're actually sitting down with residents in the community, filling out their paper paperwork uh, to apply for home weatherization resources. Uh, energy bills are increasing across the board. People can't afford this, especially in our some of our lower income areas. And these are federal dollars sitting at the state uh, waiting to be used. They just need uh, applications and, and homeowners or even renters uh, applying for them to where they can get new refrigerators, uh, sealing around windows, uh, insulation, new roofs, all of these things to uh, directly have a, an impact on their quality of life in their home. And so there's that. There's also more um, public-facing work like a commercial corridor in the area and um, uh, we're working on um, helping them think through some facade improvements. And so my hope is that they continue to invite us to the table and that we can continue to be a support for them and help them implement their plan. Well, I love um, the approach, too, that it's not just about, you know, commercial revitalization of an area, but it's also investments in the people themselves and, and what they say they, yeah. they need and what they want. And, you, you know, in, in, in the persistence, right? I mean, you've just described a process of sitting there for four years, and, and I can imagine that that can get painstaking or that can get frustrating at times but it seems like it has paid off in your other efforts how do, how do you kind of approach those situations well i have the benefit of having seen transformation over time and so planning takes time uh, sometimes we, we we plant seeds and it takes many years for them to to grow and, and for us to see the results of them but you have to work at it because we're in this for the long game this is about building a place where our children can stay, yep. where our grandchildren will be able to also stay and thrive. And so I have an army at CPEX that is 100% dedicated to Baton Rouge, to Louisiana, and we are we are here for the people and making a better place for all of us, a higher quality of life. And we don't shy away from the messy, complicated challenges, because those are the ones we've got to go after. Um, And so I think that it is hard. Sometimes people do get frustrated or worn out with things didn't happen quick enough, but we just have to keep working it. Absolutely. Well, and and your work because of your success here, and and I think the the team you have built, you all have now been called into to other communities. And so you you mentioned how when you started with Louisiana Speaks, 
working now in over 50 communities across our state. Describe what the scale and, and, and sort of the goals of some of those projects are in, in various communities. Yeah, that's such a great question, Chris, because this is about scale. We work at the neighborhood scale, the corridor, the town, the city, the parish, region, at the state level. And in our community work, that's what really grounds us and lets us understand the community needs so that we can advocate and make changes into governance practices mm -hmm. and policies and suggestions on resource allocation at the state level. Because the issues at the local level are so great, especially in our coastal communities, to where local governments and stakeholders can't handle them alone. And we need alignment within state policies and programs and, and, and the muscle and the might of the funding that they also have um, to help address these issues. And they need to be right-sized for communities. And so, uh, you know, we've worked in small towns like Gina, Louisiana, uh, where we we completely transformed their downtown. They have uh, a large trail system, improvements in not only their housing, but also transportation. We expanded the walkability of the downtown, facade improvements, uh, to places like Vernon Parish, where um, we redid their zoning codes and, and helped them think through growth and prosperity for, you know, lots of residents not only being, you know, coming into Leesville and Vernon, but also from Fort Polk and mm -hmm. what that looks like um, to small coastal towns like Jean Lafitte, where um, a lot of our work has resulted in, in trail and bike systems around that entire area, movement and strategic relocation of homes mm -hmm. to Lafouche and Terrebonne, real high-risk coastal communities where, you know, we led the and were the primary authors of the state adaptation plans in these six parishes. And, and one of the housing developments that was a prototype that was built uh, as a result of the work that we did in LA Safe uh, led to a resilient housing a resilient housing model that did not get hampered at all through Ida and oh, wow. everything around it was obliterated. So it's not just plans. We can see the real tangible results across the coast, I mean across the state uh, from our work and that, that's what's really exciting. But then also at the state level, we're having a lot of impact and change uh, through, especially we've had a strong relationship with this governor, this administration, uh, working on some really big, uh, important issues uh, to, to to address governance so that government can work better. And especially as, as um, you know, our state changes and, and the impacts on it changes. I know you were instrumental in working with the, the governor and that team on um, creating one of the first, maybe only sort of climate plans in, in the state. And this is, you know, I know some may take this as, as political, but but really this was much more practical as you sort of talked about the, the adaptation plans and resiliency plans to make sure that our businesses and our homes could could be ready to face the changes that are coming. Talk, talk a little yeah. bit about that process and, and where we sit as a state vis-a-vis -vis our neighbors. Yeah, and, you know, um, the most recent poll that I, I saw, 70% of Americans uh, believe in climate change. We're at a point in Louisiana, we're kind of ahead of the game. We see it. We're on the front lines. We're, we're, we're feeling the impacts of sea level rise, more intense, longer lingering hurricanes, these, um, you know, rain events with heavy downpours that our infrastructure can't handle, drought, all of these uh, impacts we're feeling, the heat. And so it is a very pivotal point for Louisiana to be in because we have to lead on this. We're on the front lines, but we're also some of the highest greenhouse gas emitters 
66% of our greenhouse gases in, in Louisiana do come from oil, gas, and petrochemical, which is going to be continually under fire as the transition shifts. And so... And many of them have acknowledged that they have to begin to transition. Well, there's the oil and gas community are some of the biggest investors in wind and solar. And so th- this the decisions are happening on Wall Street in the back mm-hmm. of boardrooms and, and within banks and, and insurance adjustments. And so we need to be ahead of the game and, and um, demonstrating leadership and not only that we're doing our part to reduce greenhouse gases, but we're capitalizing on our unique opportunities with this transition. Uh, I was on the BOEM um, task force this morning and it you know the, a big announcement came out last week on the wind investments that the federal government is is about to develop off the sh- the coast of Louisiana and Texas and our fabricators our our shipbuilders um, our industries that have built oil and gas rigs and and have serviced them are also transferable skills for wind energy so we have to think really creatively about how we're going to set up our workforce, how, and, and this goes with with solar, green hydrogen, uh, you know, all the the innovations that mm-hmm. are here have are happening already in other places, but that are also yet to come, that we build an ecosystem for more manufacturing, for a workforce of, of innovation that can capitalize on all of these opportunities. And with the bipartisan infrastructure law, there's a lot of money that's up for states, not only in formula funding, so the state can prioritize and 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 put resources towards these kind of transformational initiatives in our infrastructure, in our critical infrastructure, but also be competitive against other states and bringing more resources um, to to build out a a thriving, resilient infrastructure for our future. Which is, again, it's about jobs. It's about the places we live. It's about having thriving communities, which should not be a a political issue. It it should be an issue that affects every family. And, you know, I think the approach that, that you described, I think, has been in Louisiana a very practical one. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I'm out in the coast. I'm out with legislators and in communities. And it doesn't seem to be as political as one might assume if they're watching the news. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I see so much motivation and dedication to collaboration around all of these things. And, and so sometimes what we, what we might read or, or see in the news or the media um, might might make it seem as though it's highly controversial and and let's be honest there are definitely actors pushing against the timeline on some of these things but I think there's a lot of support and there's there's so much potential for us where where does the city in the state for that matter what do you think are our kind of near-term priorities in this front and then you know looking maybe you know 10 20 years out uh, what do we need to be thinking about around the corner to stay ahead and to lead in the nation on these on these issues we have to prioritize the power of planning. In terms of the city, you know, the I-10 widening is going to exacerbate the current traffic issues. But we need to be real about why we have these traffic issues. And if we continue to sprawl out and not develop in infill and in more dense patterns, we're never going to have an alternative to vehicles. So we're going to be handicapped by having to drive to point A, point B, C, D, E, wherever in our daily modes of, of, of uh, transit. And so I feel like there we need a, a reckoning 
There's no silver bullet. We know that when you widen roads, it just allows for more cars to be on them. There's not a silver bullet in a bridge that's going to solve all of our problems. Or two or three. That's right. We we need to connect our inner city streets. We need to uh, change our development patterns so that we have more density in the future. By the way, a lot of the sprawling development patterns are also in flood-prone areas. We need to be strategically thinking about buying up land and creating more of a sponge city and big buffers of water management, nature-based solutions, so that we can reduce the flooding that's happening uh, in, 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 our, in our paved communities. Mm-hmm. We essentially have to start tearing up pavement. Uh, the water needs somewhere to go, and we've just put asphalt and pavement um, over everything. And so what what we're getting the outcomes that one we sh- would sh- expect uh, based on how we've developed. So I think we need some reckoning there. And I I, I do see movement and, and with the, the mayor's office and focusing on the, you know, stormwater and planning. And I, I hope and I assume that will lead to policy changes and ordinance changes. But I think we need more strategies around uh, housing and land use and you know do we need all the housing that's being developed uh, where what is strategically uh, the housing needs and where do they need to go someone's responsible we are the decision makers are responsible for how our community is built and how it supports us and, and right now it seems as it, it feels very much as a free-for-all uh, so I, I think there's a lot of, of work to be done there and at the state we're right now also working with the administration on developing an office of state planning. This is really exciting. This was one of the recommendations in the Louisiana Speaks plan. And uh, working with Commissioner Darden, we were able to get an, uh, an EDA grant to establish this office of state planning where we're, we're hiring right now three people. And CPAX is, is doing all the, the work to develop the framework on what its mission is, what its functions are, what its budget is, its staff, uh, how it's going to operate within the Division of Administration, how it's going to operate with the other state agencies. And and hopefully you know, getting this set up and having it established so when the next governor comes in, we can work through that agency to establish, uh, working with the governor, what what's the overall priorities of this administration? What are the goals? And then uh, how do they align across across agencies and really um, providing a space for that strategic collaboration around some of these big challenges yet opportunities that we have. What would be some of those swing for the fence ideas that um, you've probably dreamed about it? If you, if you had a magic wand and, you know, could be uh, uh, the, the king queen for the day, what, what would you, what would you wish for Baton Rouge or the state in terms of its planning, its future? I think that, there's a need to shift power. There are people in positions that hold all of the power, and it's very disconnected from the needs on the ground. And and so I think there is a, a large gap and space that needs to be filled in setting the table for stronger collaboration and ideas. And, you know, sometimes I feel like there is too much of a scarcity mindset Mm-hmm. Um, where we really need to be thinking bigger about leveraging all of our resources and all of our skills and, and propping each other up. And so I, I do think there is a, a people part uh, of sharing power and giving power um, that's really critical t- to our future. 
Well, and I've just been really encouraged in the short time that I've been in this role of, I think, the, the optimism and the sort of willingness of especially sort of this next generation of leadership like yourself who, um, you know, are looking at some of Louisiana's biggest challenges, maybe things we did in the past that we didn't have the science or we didn't have the knowledge or we didn't sort of work in a certain way to get things done collaboratively. I, I, I sense I sense a tide starting to turn in you know, the good yeah. way. How do you feel? What, what is your level of optimism about our future? I do feel that, although, you know, I, we, we worked in this past legislative session and I think there's a massive disconnect with legislators and policies and bills that are being put forth versus what community needs are. And I don't, the community doesn't really have a voice in that. Um, it, it's, it's people that are connected who have access that are able to um, get through the things that they want. And so I would love to see that entire process of legislation turned on its side, on upside on its head, <laughs> and 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 having more um, vision and voice from people. Like, you know, how are we engaged in that process? And this is where I think, you know, for CPEX, uh, we we did we were able to be engaged in this last session, and I hope that we will be in the future ones as well, uh, and having a critical role because there are policies and laws being shaped that are harming us, that are not in line with the vision that we hear on the ground in the communities and what stakeholders need and to address the challenges that we have. Well, I am grateful that you keep working to create those points of demonstration where you keep working to uplift voices mm -hmm. that, that maybe are not being heard um, and facing, frankly, the, the realities that we have in trying to make Louisiana a better place. And so I'm um, certainly proud to, to be a partner with, with you all and, yeah. and to amplify the work of CPACs. Great. Thank you so much, Chris. It's, real, it, it's an exciting time. We've got a lot of work ahead of us. So, If folks want to get involved, um, how can they and um, how can they find you? Yeah, um, www.cpex.org. Uh, we are always looking for uh, new new supporters and, and members. Um, we also have our award-winning summit, December 7th and 8th, where we're going to be tackling a lot of these issues in the Manship Theater at the Shaw Center for the Arts. And you can you know follow, follow our work and learn more. We have a newsletter and all of our social media platforms. All of that can be found on our website. That's awesome. Well, Camille, thank you so much for joining us. And as she said, for those that want to find out more about the Center for Planning Excellence, visit CPEX, that's C-P-E-X dot org to learn more. As always, thank you for listening in. I'm your host, Chris Meyer, and our mission is to elevate the stories, people, and ideas making Baton Rouge and Louisiana a better place. Thank you so much, Chris. To learn more about the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, please visit our website at braf.org and become a member today.